We're all living in a world gone geek. It's time to geek hard or go home. The podcast is real. Here's your host, Grounded Geek. Hey, everybody. Sunday night. It's time for the podcast is real, and we're grateful that you have decided to spend some time with us tonight. We have a great guest. We are going to still talking about writing. It's the month of November. If you're a NaNoWriMo-er, is that a thing? Uh, this is your last couple days, right? So you're wrapping up and uh, hopefully you managed to make it through all of that. Uh, and congratulations if you did. Um, but be in, in celebration of NaNoWriMo all month, we've been talking to writers and self-publishers, people who are kind of doing this. And, and hopefully that will inspire people out there who are doing NaNoWriMo to publish on their own. Uh, and we've got a great guest uh, tonight to, um, to talk about that. Uh, before we get into that, though, of course, I got to bring out my good friends, uh, Utah and Aliyah. Welcome to the show. Hello. Greetings, programs. It is National French Toast Day. What? So <gasps> I thought so I would we shall that fr- up. We, we shall toast in French, yes? <laughs> well, that's, not, that's not the French toast. Uh, bonsoir, clink. Is that- what is that? Is that that's that's not that, that means good evening. That's okay. that's not the kind of French toast Dave we're talking about though. No, no. Mm. So it, it leads me to question: What is your favorite uh, um, breakfast uh, dessert? <laughs> Waffles, pancakes? Because let's face it, these are not these are desserts for breakfast, yeah, right? Yeah, that's not Waffles, <laughs> pancakes, or French toast. If you had to pick one of the three, which one would you pick and why? Ooh, that's tough. Because I'm a big fan of. I guess it depends on how they're made, right? Because there's like. I liked a really thick, fluffy French toast with some cinnamon on it, you know, and then you got the melted yes, butter. Yes, and, and the apple syrup on top. and walnuts. There you go. Uh, but like, there's something about the waffles because it has like the the syrup storage containers, so you can have more <laughs> sure. syrup with your with your waffles. <laughs> and you have to get it in all of them. Well, right. I mean, well, be, it I mean, has to be in all of them, or it's, yeah, it's not a waffle. It doesn't. It, right. doesn't yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work count. Very well. and you have to get a new waffle. So um, that's tough. Uh, it's hard you didn't to mention really pancakes, though. I did. Well, Waffles, pancakes. No, I was, well, no, I was yeah, talking did, about you, Dyke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you, I didn't mention pancakes. I, I feel like they pancakes must, They must set, be third. Set, yeah, I'd say they're close. They're really close together. Um, With? But pancakes is the third. Uh, so I would probably go French toast, waffles, pancakes for me. All right, Leah. I would go French toast, pancakes, waffles. <gasps> Flipping, yeah. the, flipping, flipping, flipping the flapjack there. Into I the- I am. And you ah. know why? Because, Jeff, I don't know uh, how your West Virginian family is, but my West Virginian family, they make some bomb blueberry pancakes. And okay. I, you know, ah, I, they're so pancakes. fluffy, but buttery and I don't know, just very sweet and delicious. So I have to say that French, but I personally love French toast more than I love pancakes. So. Okay. Well, all right. So Jay, I see Jay is checking us out on Facebook. He's correct. Japanese pancakes are fantastic because they are. The, so what is that? I don't know what makes. What I don't makes know. So, so <laughs> the easiest, the in my experience, the easiest way to differentiate the Japanese pancake from typical pancakes is that they're always made super fluffy and light. So they're like a good okay. at least an inch, two inches thick, and mm. they're just super soft and kind of melt in your mouth. And um, but that's just my experience. I mean, I just want. So, I mean, there's so many different pancake houses in Japan. I, I'm sure one of them's international, even, but. Um, 
that that's the big difference. The Japanese pancakes are usually smaller, but also much, much thicker. Okay. Mm, so we just changed the game. Interesting. So, so yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if we're sticking to kind of the typical American breakfast desserts, um, then, you know, I'll stick with my, my rankings, but the Japanese pancakes creep up big time because they're, Oh, I, I'm sure they're tough to make. I'm sure they're well, really difficult to make. <laughs> I, I love, well, apparently uh, Cheryl does not like making them for dinner. Um, they're delicious. That's what he says. Okay. Well, then um, we're all going to go to, we're all going to go to their house and have some Japanese pancakes. There we go. Just we'll, we'll be over <laughs> I mean, next. We'll, we'll do the show next well, Sunday from Jay's house. From we'll Jay, pancakes. from Jay and Cheryl's house. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I like French toast. That's definitely my favorite um, because it's usually, like you said, it's got some cinnamon. It's usually got some flavoring in it. Whereas yeah, the pancakes yeah. and waffles typically have the flavoring added after like uh, yeah it's what you put on them that makes them so good but a french toast you know i mean you could just put the syrup on there and i'd still be okay and now i lost like yeah. a little powdered sugar i like you know mix it, mix mm -hmm. it up, put some other things on there but mm -hmm. i love french toast um gosh after that though it's it's probably really close for me between uh waffles and, and pancakes but i'd probably go waffles because pancakes i mean it's got to be the right pancakes i've had some pancakes that were pretty pretty bland you know what i mean they're just like eh. i mean really got to pour on the syrup and butter you know what i mean whereas you know typically a waffle um uh you know that i've had like belgian waffles i i, I think some of the best waffles i had were in amsterdam the dutch mm. the panen panen koken or something like that i hope that means waffle and not something inappropriate that i just said but um yeah so basically Hashtag it is don't definitely, tell cheryl yeah <laughs> Oh, we should. We should do a cooking stream. We definitely like should. That. Yes. Don't put that Cheryl. on the list. Hashtag <laughs> don't tell Cheryl. <laughs> as long as she doesn't see this episode, she'll be okay. Um, no, I, uh, uh, um, I love uh, the waffles and then, um, and then the pancakes. That's probably where I'd have to go. Um, but yeah, there were some really interesting pancakes and in, they're like called a Dutch pancakes and they put like, like it's not, they put like all kinds of different stuff. Like it is really a dessert ones that I had there. I literally had one. I had one for dinner one night because I was like, I got I to have one of these before I leave Amsterdam. And, you know, I went into this, this like little kind of side of the building diner that, little, that made them. It was a really hole cool. in the wall. Like, yeah, but it was like highly recommended. Like this is the place to go or whatever. And that's where you get the best the food or the hole in the walls. Yeah, I mean, right? really. Um, well, and you know, I mean, it's not like in over there, there was a ton of like these chain restaurants, you know, all over the place mm -hmm. serving pancakes. They're all in these like traditional, you know, uh, sure. little, little, little restaurants. And so I went in there and had one. It was, um, it was really good. I forget what they, uh, they put all kinds of stuff on it. They just piled this thing high. Um, the pancake itself was marijuana, super, super thin. It was, <laughs> it was Amsterdam, um, but it was super, super thin. And, um, uh, but then it had like, there was fruit and whipped cream and like, mm. uh, just, I mean, it was just buried in like yummy things. So it was really good. So, um, so if you do that, then pancake, I mean, but then, but then if, if you, you pile it high enough, foundation it doesn't really matter what's underneath it, right? <laughs> it could be French toast or a waffle. I wouldn't even know. Um, Who knows what's so down there? <laughs> the real question is, when did you go to Amsterdam and why? So I went, he doesn't remember. Ago. It was, right, it was, the, <laughs> it was this, uh, it was in November, the, the November before it was for the work, pandemic. right? 
Yeah, I go to I go over there uh, once a year for uh, for a convention um, a conference. or conference. I help run all the tech and stuff for our European summit over there. Um, and it was in Amsterdam. It's the only time, it's usually in Germany. Um, this time it was in Amsterdam. So it was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, definitely have the waffles if you're ever there. Some good stuff. Um, no doubt. I had, I had it twice. The other time I had it right outside the Anne Frank Museum or whatever it was. Um, oh, that sounds like a happy time. Yeah. No, wow. <laughs> It, it, it's not, I mean, obviously it's sad, the whole thing, but it's fascinating yes. to go through that house, um, and just see all the, uh, you know, all the stuff there. It's just, it's fascinating, um, bit of history about, it. uh, it's just amazing that we captured the portrait of someone's real life during that. It's just crazy to think about. Um, Def- definitely a bucket list for sure. Yeah. So it was interesting, but uh, yeah, the waffles next door. <laughs> We're great. And not waffles, pancakes. <laughs> pancakes. How, how do you leave the Anne Frank house and like say, oh, I'm hungry? <laughs> no, no, I ate, I ate before. Oh my God. No, I went before. So, so it's like, it's kind of like the Van Gogh Museum here. You get your tickets and you have a window that you can get in, right? Right. And then and you have so to, I had yeah. took like a bus to like our train. I can't remember which trip this was. Um, and to nearby, and I walked and it was all drizzly and rainy that day and I still had like a half an hour before I could even like go in to be to to get in line. So I was like, what am I gonna do for a half hour? Oh, there's a oh. pancake place you, right here. So you, oh, you ate before. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was okay. how I killed the time before I was okay. able to go in and tell me, tell me there's not a gift shop. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there is, but it's not, it's like, it's like, it's not, it's not trinkets. Books, it's all like buy. historical yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's a little, I got a Anne Frank like chain and a, right, Anne you know, Frank mug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what was there. It's funny that you mentioned that. I didn't even like think about it, but I mean, there were books, um, and stuff like that, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I'm assuming it was anyway. all appropriate stuff that was, you know, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a, uh, a really, really, uh, sobering experience, but it's, it's, it's amazing to see. And it's like, this is where they live. This was the, all these people were crammed in this space. And when you get in there, it's mind blowing that people did that, 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 and that they, you know, they survived and they went that long, uh, you know survive for that long in that house. In that, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously didn't survive, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, her dad went on to, I think he's the only one that survived. Wasn't he? Mm-hmm. I think that's what I remember. I think you're right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. just really, really sad story, but fascinating, uh, to, to see the real, the real place. All right. So on that note, <laughs> <laughs> happy French toast day. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, as, as I said before, we are continuing our, uh, our series talking to authors this month. Um, before I do that, I do want to make sure everybody remembers, uh, that we are still giving away a, uh, Stadia, Stadia. uh, premiere edition, um, which is a really cool device. You can play, uh, really, uh, you know, cyberpunk, you can play far cry six, you can play like really, really high end games through the cloud. And, uh, it's, it's kind of awesome. It's also a Chrome cast device. So even if you end up not playing a ton of games, you got a Chrome 
Chromecast, Chromecast device there and your TV and all that kind of fun stuff. So um, you could win one. Uh, you just need to go to the link in the show notes. We and, can't. And we'll make sure that one is underneath this video uh, if you're yeah. watching it after the fact. Um, but you'll need to go to that uh, link. You'll need to like us on all of these different social medias to get as many entries as you can. Um, and the drawing is next week. So this is your oh, last geez. week to get in on that drawing. Um, yeah, Utah. I know. And, I always forget. Um, We'll be drawing that next week uh, on the show. So I'll be drawing I'm, it on Saturday. We'll be announcing it on Sunday. I'm liking yeah. our podcast right now. <laughs> you better. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but so this week, uh, he is the author of uh, two um, pretty fascinating series, The Driver and The Reeve. We're going to ask him a little bit more about those. He's going to explain the process. Um, he's been... Uh, both traditionally published and uh, self-published, so he can talk to us a little bit about both. Please welcome to the show, Ian Lewis. Welcome to the show, Ian. Yay. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be Yay. here. We are grateful for, for you to be here with us as well. Now, for those of you who are um, kind of uh, joining us, you may... Um, may if you followed us for some time, you've you've heard Matt. Matt Shigarek has been on our show. He's been on our game game night show many, many times. He's a good friend of the podcast. And he and Ian both do the podcast Promptly Written, which is another thing I forgot to mention in your intro. So you also are a part of that podcast, which is, <laughs> that is correct. A, a podcaster in your own right. Um, but uh, dude, we appreciate you spending the time with us tonight. Uh, I had advertised last week that this was going to be about Promptly Written. Uh, Matt couldn't be with us. So um, uh, he's got a family issue. So our thoughts and prayers go out to him. Um, they will be joining us together. We'll join you guys. We'll meld you together into one into me being uh, <laughs> uh, on a future episode. We're actually have been talking about doing a collaborative episode. Uh, so we'll have both of them on here. But for tonight, uh, it, we get to talk all about Ian and all about your work. And so tell <laughs> us a little bit about uh, the, the books that you've written so far and uh, what they're about. Okay, I'll try, I'll try to encapsulate it um, uh, just, for you. Yeah, the, the, especially the series mainly. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't I don't strive for any particular genre per se. Um, the Driver series is currently at four books, intended to be a five book series, and it's it's sort of um, an experimental fiction kind of an endeavor in the sense that each book's a little bit different with regard to format. Um, but the the content them, itself is is more or less a mashup of like ghost story, murder mystery, um, rural noir kind of, kind of stuff where it's like small townish kind of vibe. Um, and you have like a supernatural element to it where you, the, the, the protagonist is, um, for all intents and purposes, a ghost, but, um, I guess the, there's some very specific rules in this particular world, how these uh, people operate. It's, it's everybody who's been murdered basically, the, the idea is that your soul is split from your spirit and then you're kind of stuck in this in-between state um, where you have to find your spirit or your, your ghost in the lingo of the book um, in order to kind of move on. And so the, the main main character, the driver, is is sort of stuck in this in-between state and is sort of tasked with gathering other murdered souls. And so, um, like I said, it, it's sort of experimental. It's kind of a sandbox, sandbox for me to play in, um, try different things. Um, the other series that that's sort of on our radar right now is the Reeve, which is uh, an alternate history that imagines a post alchemy version of North America. 
Um, and actually, the story takes place in um, sort of an alternate version of Northeast Ohio. Um, and it, it's sort of Victorians, um, uh, sort of like maybe quasi-colonial, but sort of a Victorian gas lamp, sort of low, low end of the fantasy spectrum. Um, and the, I, I actually have a new book um, in that series, the second book, which is coming out uh, December 20th. And that, that will also be a five book series when it's all said and done. That's really cool. So tell me when you started the driver, then was it always going to be five books? Did you <laughs> like, like how, how far along had no, you that, that's figured that question. out? Um, it started out as a, is a really, really was meant to be a one book thing. Um, it was very early on in my, I guess, serious writing endeavor. I, I started writing in college, wrote a bunch of garbage, didn't like what I was writing, set it aside, quit for probably three or four years then got the idea for the first book in the driver series called uh the camaro murders and i i wrote that um got to the end and decided that hey i really like this character maybe i should keep him going and so i i said well let, let's keep writing and um i didn't really have a set end in mind but um the way it kind of plotted out I, i'm doing to finish the series sort of like a an in-series trilogy and so um, the last book that I'll write for the driver series will be sort of the third book, third book in the in series trilogy. So, um, it, it was, it was certainly wasn't planned. It was all kind of organic, I guess, I guess you could say. Now, how about with this, this newest one, the Reeves, the Reeves series is a bit, a bit more meticulously plotted in the sense that, um, there's some philosophical underpinnings to it that, uh, you know, I want to, I, it's kind of laid out in a, in a five book format for that reason, but, um, it's kind of interesting cause they're, the series are, they have their similarities, but they're very different in another sense as well. So. And how did you get started doing this? Now you said you started in college, but have you always been interested in writing as a, as a kid? Like where was the inspiration come from? So interestingly enough, as a, as a child, I like to draw a lot and um, I always wanted to have, I think a creative outlet in that sense. And as I got into high school, I just didn't draw as much anymore. I don't know why I just kind of, kind of dropped it, but I always enjoyed reading. And I think all the creative urges sort of built up in college at some point where I was like, Hey, I, I need an outlet, but I'm not really interested in drawing anymore. But because I like to read, I was like, well, maybe I should take a stab at, at, at writing. Um, cause it, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty cheap thing to produce. There's not really a lot of overhead with that. So I started with short stories that I, you know, again, we're, we're not good. Um, at least in my estimation, they were not good and, uh, kind of went from there. So where did you get the, the concept, um, uh, for the Reeve and where did you get your concept for, the, for both of these novels? So the Reeve was, there's a couple angles on it. So part of it was me just being maybe, maybe bored um, with my surroundings <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I was like probably driving to the grocery store on a Saturday morning or something. And, you know, obviously in, in, in Ohio, everything's in the, in the winter and fall, it's, it's pretty gray and gloomy. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think I was wanting to reimagine my environment in a sense, thinking about what if there was an alternate reality or alternate version of my surroundings, what would that look like? And so my mind kind of went rampant with that. Um, and there was also sort of a 
the main character, the Reeve, is sort of, for better or worse, uh, pretty tightly entwined with the, sort of the Batman mythos. He's, there's a lot of similarities with him and that character. Um, maybe too much, but it's too late. <laughs> it's too late now. I'm already <laughs> one book in. You know, actually two books in now, but you know, I didn't want it to be derivative, but like, I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of sort of the Batman mythos, and so that, that kind of surfaced there. And so there was all that kind of going on in my mind, and I was like, why don't I just write a story? Um, you know, again, I, I, I don't know that I was necessarily dead set on a series at that point. I think I had um, sort of the ruminations of a series in my head, but was really the earliest germination of that idea was just, I want to look at my surroundings and imagine it in a fa- sort of a fantastic way. And what about for the driver? That one's very interesting to me. Like the, the concept of the driver is very, very intriguing. Um, so I'm very interested in your, your uh, concept yeah, ideation the, for that. The, the driver is, it's funny. I, I go back and try to, to think all the time. Where, where did that come from? It was, it was it's a lot deep. of things. Yeah, it was a lot of things out of left field. I, I think it was the most organic thing I've done in the sense that I didn't really have a like a strong plot or outline for it. Um, but I, it, it was a, probably a couple things. Like, grew up watching Knight Rider. I love Knight Rider. And so you've got not a Trans Am, but a Camaro, which is still um, the F body platform you know, from GM, right. right? It's basically the same car. Yeah, right. But it, it, it takes place in sort of, a, like I said, a quasi-rural area, which... Um, where my, my parents are from are from the small little podunk town in, you know, so I grew up a, a lot around that type of an area. And, um, I was listening to Coheed and Cambria a lot at the time. If uh, you're familiar with that band, yeah. um, but they do a lot of, um, everything's sort of based on a story. They have some graphic novels that underpin each album or at least most of the albums. And at the time, there was a lot of um, speculation amongst fans about like when you listen to the album, what part of the story you're listening to. And obviously each song can encapsulate every aspect of the plot. And so people were on message boards and forums trying to like piece it all together. And like, to me, that was intriguing where you have, you know, you have snippets or bits and pieces of, of insights into the story via the songs, but you're not really getting the whole story. And so the first book in the driver series was sort of my attempt to, evoke that that response from a reader where things are told not only out of order from a chronology point of view but you get um four different perspectives uh one of them being from somebody who's dead mm-hmm. and so i was sort of trying to evoke that hey i get these snippets like let me use my imagination or my insight of what i do know to fill in the fill in the gaps of the rest which is sort of plays into that experimental aspect of it i guess so have you ever thought about using like your, your drawing capabilities to, and incorporating them into your, your novel? Ah, uh, so I, I don't know if my drawing capabilities exist anymore. I haven't, <laughs> it's funny cause my, my kids say, well, we're going to do drawing lessons in life, sit down and copy exactly what they're, what they're drawing. And they're always like, Oh, you, you do it so much better than, than we do. I'm like, well, it's actually pretty terrible if you, if you knew what I was doing here, but like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like I, I really like the idea of doing a graphic novel for the driver mm-hmm. series. And I, I mm-hmm. kick around the idea of working with the artist who's done a number of my covers. Um, part of what deters me is it's, I think it'll be really cost prohibitive. Um, cause you're, you probably end up paying per panel. Um, oh, yeah. or maybe per page. I think it depends on what, whatever you negotiate with the artist. But the other part of it is, it would seem a little daunting to, to, yeah, I'd probably have to storyboard everything out 
mm-hmm. um, which would be fun, but like at the same time, it's, it's a little daunting. And so if I could do, I always have a pretty strong vision visually what I want to do um, as far as a cover or what I have in mind when I write the, write a book. And I really wish I had the talent to do that, to communicate it myself. And I, I don't know if I, if I have that. Since you mentioned the, the covers, um, uh, I'll ask the question that kind of been on my mind. So obviously you said that you've hired an artist to do that. How, how did you, like, how does that come about? Like, how did you find the artist? How did you get connected with them? Cause the covers are, I mean, the art is really good on it. Yeah. Really the covers are nice to look at. Yeah. They are. yeah. Um, so when I first started out, I was with a small independent publisher and they did three, no, I did three novellas with them. And in those cases, they provided the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went out on my own, I just sort of was Googling. Um, and I can't even remember the sites now, but there's a number of sites where there's artists for hire and that kind of thing. And you just sort of look at their portfolio and see what they've done and, and try to find somebody that fits the vibe of what you have in mind. Um, and I, it was just, a, I think a matter of Googling and I, I hit him up on his website and, um, he just does, you know, uh, you know, a per, per commission type, type, uh, type pricing. And it kind of went from there and, you know, you just communicate your vision to them and you go back and forth and, you know, does he read, does he read the book? Like, do you have, just, to, or do you just kind of give not. him a, I just an kinda, idea? Yeah. I just kind of give him a blurb and, and he runs with it. So, um, I've been pretty happy with what he's, what he's come up with. That's pretty And is it, is it, so is it like digital art that he's doing or is he like a painter? And then this is getting you know made into prints. Like, Honestly, I'm just I don't know style. how he does it. I don't know what his, <laughs> his method is. I, obviously we need to have him on as a guest later. Then, so <laughs> right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really, I really, I think it's really, really interesting. And yeah, I think it would lend itself to a really cool graphic novel style too. I'd love to see that. Definitely um, would love to see that. Yeah. Maybe so, I'll do it. If I get some time, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll get on it. Have, yeah. have your kids draw the, the panels. <laughs> yeah, for the graphic novel. I mean, you know, save some money, employ them, get them, keep them busy. They, they I mean, love that. <laughs> I think it would be nice, right? Because a lot of kids have like a very uh, interesting way of showcasing their creativity. So if you allow them to read your novel and then, you know, just draw whatever comes to your first thing that comes to your mind, it might be some crazy, you know, crazy thing. But I think it would be really interesting. Yeah. It would probably be full of <laughs> poop emojis. This would be <laughs> yeah, we didn't ask how old his kids were. I'm not yeah. old enough yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are they old enough to read the the novel? Either? No, no, not, not quite. Oh, oh, I guess I should have asked that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh well, maybe we should read it, read the novels to them. We can make our own audio book, yeah. and then they can draw from that. No, there you go. Maybe that's an idea. Okay. <laughs> now, are these audio books? Do you have these published? As I do not. So that's another thing that can be a little cost prohibitive. So to get. Um, you didn't like if I had the right voice for it, which I I don't. I would do it myself, but um, I think you need like that good narration radio kind of voice um, to do that kind of thing. But you either pay per word. I think it's per word. You pay somebody oh, wow. like up front, um, which you know if you pay someone to do that, it's going to be two or three thousand dollars maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can arrange some type of royalty deal with the with the narrator. Right. Do the back end sort of thing. Yeah, generally they're only willing to do that if you if you're already sort of like a bestseller kind of an author. Which mm. um, unfortunately I am not that at that level yet. So <laughs> not quite I'd be there. looking at paying somebody up front, which 
you know, is, is not, not cost effective right now. So. So do you write these novels uh, like just in your spare time or do you allot time to write? You know, do you have any advice for fellow writers watching? So I would, yeah, I would say me personally, I make time to write. Um, and, and partially that's because I have a compulsion to write, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of get, it's, it's, it, once you get an idea for a story, it moves beyond just the creative urge. You sort of have this inner world that kind of needs to get out and you need to see it realized on paper. Even if no one else reads it, you just have this story that needs to get out. And so I would say if you're just starting out, probably it makes sense to, to make, to make time to write, but, um, probably not as necessary until you sort of get kind of possessed by an idea. So I, I usually write a little bit on my lunch break and then usually a little bit in the evening, um, after the kids go to bed. So just, I mean, any, any time I can get, I really try to do it. I think that's a great question because a lot of people who are aspiring writers, they have, you know, a full-time day job. This is what, this is what we do. Um, but then, you know, how do you, how do you fit, find the time for that creativity? Um, does you find that, that, um, that it's hard to get, like, I don't know about you, but I'm just speaking for my own, uh, is I get in these creative, like, uh, motivational periods. Like it just kind of comes and it's like, Oh, uh, this is, this is happening. I got to get, this is going to happen right now. I got to write. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or like I have to draw, or I have to do this, or I have to create this. <laughs> right. or, it is. No, that's a great, that's actually an, a great example. It's like, it's like, it's built up and I'm like, the idea just starts formulating. A lot of times it'll be when I'm in the car and I've got these, these ideas flowing. Right. And then I get home and it's like life starts happening and, you know, we got to have dinner and the kids and doing this and then all we got all. And then by the time I get a chance to sit down. The moment's passed. Motivation. Yeah. Do you, do you experience that? Is is it easy for you to kind of like, okay, it's lunchtime. I'm getting into the writing mood now. I think I used to have that issue. I used to keep a little notepad in the car for when I'd have those random ideas. And a lot of times it was something really abstract, but I knew that there was kind of something in there. And if I, if I sat on it long enough, it might, it it might turn into something good. But um, I, it's weird. I don't know if my, my brain like has rewired itself, but I generally, don't have that problem in the middle of the day. Um, if something's interesting enough, it sticks with me. The problem I do have is when I have a really good idea when I'm dreaming, which a number yeah. of my stories ideas have come out of dreams. And I remember mm. the other day, I'm like, I was like half awake. It must've been the middle of the night. I was like, Oh, this is a fantastic idea. Like in, for some reason it, it's like, it really resonates in your head when you're half awake I'm like, I got to remember that. And then of course I wake up and it, it, it's gone. You know, it's really interesting that you say that. Uh, I, I remember I was a, a very avid daydreamer as a child or, you know, I would be awake. Obviously that's daydreaming. And I, I know that, but I would, I would create, <laughs> I create different scenarios in my brain of stories or literally crafting up this entire world, uh, so to speak, within my own brain. So I definitely um, resonate with with the dreaming uh, ideation while you're dreaming. Um, I think it's really cool, right? Because our, our dreams are, um, we don't think, we, we realize that they're just dreams, but they can play a, yeah. play a big part in our concept creation. I've, I've heard dreaming is, is the 
it's been termed as like the the birth or the origination of thought basically and like all your ideas or thoughts really come out of your dreams which was an interesting thought huh. to me that's an interesting thing to think about huh yeah so um you mentioned earlier when that you you know you were drawing and then you really like to read and that's how kind of you got into writing who are some of your influences as a writer what are some authors that you enjoyed reading um either before or still uh that have kind of influenced you to become a writer that's interesting so i read a ton of agatha christie when i was younger um oh great then, books yeah and then i got into um because I grew up watching all the James Bond films, I got it. I read all the Ian Fleming, Ian Fleming stuff. Um, and then I uh, read a lot of Tom Clancy at some point. Um, and I, I don't know if any one of them had a direct influence in the sense that I was trying to mimic them, but I'm sure all of that's sort of bled in somewhere at some point. Who's your go-to? Like, what? who's your favorite author just overall just as, as a writer that you think is a great writer? I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite. I would say my, my current favorite right now might be, um, Josiah Bancroft who writes, um, the books of Babel series. Um, his, his latest, oh. uh, just came out this month, um, is the final book in his, in his, in his series. Interesting. I haven't heard of that one. Me neither. It's it's really it's a really imaginative, like sort of steampunkish kind of tale mm-hmm. where basically um the idea is that the the Tower of Babel from the biblical stories is for all intents and purposes a tourist attraction. And it's like this behemoth giant tower that has a different like they call them ringdoms, kingdom, a ringdom at like every level. And this mm. this fellow who's like a very very much like a Nicobod crane type of schoolmaster character who's there on his honeymoon with his wife. And he's got his little travel guide and he thinks, I, you know, I can't wait to see the tower. I don't know. Like I know everything there is to know about it kind of a thing. And well, before they even get into the tower, she's kidnapped. And so he has to go into the tower to find her and everything ensues from there. And it's, it's a really, really imaginative tale. Huh. I think. Interesting. That does sound. Yeah. That sounds it's really, it's really good. Definitely worth reading. I have to yeah. put that on the list. So tell us a little bit about, so you, you, you said you went through a traditional publisher with the first couple of books. Oh tell yeah. Us that's about a good that question. process. How yeah. did, how did that work for you? Did you like seek them out? Uh, did, yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, that, that was an interesting process. Cause like I said, the, the Camaro murders was the, the first book in the driver series. And that was the first thing I had published it, And it's such an unorthodox book <clears throat> that I really didn't have high hopes for it going anywhere. Um, and really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I queried agents. Generally, um, you're going to need an agent if you're going to be published with one of the major publishing houses. But there's a lot of independent, smaller publishers. In this case, the one that I ended up with that, that don't require you to have an agent. And so when you do need an agent, you have to not only sell your book to your agent, and, you know, sell as in like, you know, get them to buy in on it. Um, but then the agent has to turn around and like, sell that to a publisher. Right. Mm. So the publisher I ended up with, um, just did eBooks. They didn't do any, anything in print. And he, the, the fellow, the editor in chief really liked it in the sense that he thought it reminded him of, um, William Faulkner's as I like, as I lay dying, 
Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the, the format of it, not, not just not so much the content, but the, uh, just the format. So, um, I think it was something that he had read in school and really liked or something to that effect. And it kind of reminded him and resonated with him in that, in that sense. And so he really liked it and wanted to publish it. And I was kind of floored because he was, I think the last response that I was waiting on from all the people that I had sent it out to. And, and, and he wanted, he wanted to publish it. So I was like, wow, let's, let's, let's do it. But, um, it was interesting because there weren't a lot of, if any, substantive changes to the manuscript. Um, obviously, there was copy editing and proofing and that kind of thing. But um, as unorthodox as it was, I really was expecting a lot more, of, a lot more changes, which which there weren't. Well, that's cool. That's refreshing. So, yeah. the Camaro murders that came out before Amazon started doing their publishing thing, right? I don't know. Originally, the Camaro Murders came out. It was probably 2007-ish. And then okay, so maybe around the I same time. I re-released it at some point when I got the rights back to it. Ah, uh, okay. So you did a couple of books with the small publisher, and mm-hmm. then you decided to go out on your own. When you went out on your own, was Amazon Publishing the first choice or the only choice, or did you go elsewhere for... No, there was, um, Amazon was obviously one of the, the big players, but, um, there was a, I think they were called pronoun. They don't exist anymore, but there was a, a startup that was backed by one of the major publishing houses. I don't remember which, um, that allowed you to have one platform that would publish to, to all the other vendors. So Amazon, Barnes oh. and Noble, Kobo and a whole slew of others. Um, and I was with them for a short period of time and then they, they, they closed up shop for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point I, I went with, I went with Amazon and then, um, for everybody else, I go through a site called draft to digital for, for just the ebook stuff. Hmm. You mean to go to like Kobo and Kobo Barnes and Noble and, the nook, right? That's Barnes. Yeah. And yeah, I at this nook. point, I've only got maybe half, if less than half my catalog on, on those other sites. Um, the driver stuff and the reef stuff are, are all on Amazon only because it, it's all set up through the Kindle unlimited program, which mm. you have to be exclusive with Amazon to do that. I gotcha. Oh. And so how does, I've always wondered how that works, the Kindle unlimited. So if, so as, Cause I have that, I have Kindle, I read lots of different stuff through that. Um, so if I was to, to grab one of your books that's on there, like how do you see any benefit from that or, and, or does it take if like, at all <laughs> a, th- a thousand of me to do it before that happens? I mean, you get paid per page read. So if you read okay. 30 pages of the book, but not the whole book, I get paid for 30 of those pages, but it's like, Oh, that's interesting. It's probably like a huh. fraction of a penny. It's, it's it's such a low amount. You you need to be, you know, somebody who's really widely read to to make anything at it. But um, I, I really I put it out there mainly as a because um, I'm at the point where I'm trying to gain readers more so than make money. Sure. Right. Um, and so I thought that would be a way to entice new readers. Is that hey, you can you can read it for free if you have a subscription. That's sure. Nice. So that's and what. That's, Sorry, I, I didn't. I don't know what Kindle Unlimited is. Is that it's just like a, a subscription? It's like a, a subscription, subscription yeah. service. So it's like I think I forget what it is. I think it's like ten bucks. Yeah, a month probably about ten bucks. 
And then there are certain titles in Amazon's entire, you know, all the books that they sell. Some of them are, are part of this Kindle Unlimited. So it's almost like Netflix. Like you can go and read or the library, but you pay right. 10 bucks a month. Or it's it. like, um, like you pay Spotify a subscription to listen to the right. music that's in their catalog. You don't necessarily own it, but you have access to all these. So with Kindle Unlimited, right. you have access to all their eBooks and you can read them at, at your leisure. Well, not all of them, just well, the ones well, that are part of, right, that's right, the right. distinction I want to make sure people understand. Yeah, you're right, like, you're right, you're right. Because if it was, that'd be fantastic. Like I would right. read, like, but, it, I would, but it's, it, it's only a book that is Amazon sells is in there. That'd be, that'd be great. But no, it's the specific ones, but I have found some really good stuff through that and, and like found a couple of new authors that way. So I think it's a smart, uh, like you said, if you're going to, you know, wanting to kind of grow your readership um, to, to offer it through Kindle Unlimited is a way to kind of get in front of some of the authors or some of the readers. Um, it, it worked in my case. I ended up buying, uh, uh, you know, going at, going back and buying some books from people that I read through there. So, so is it like Audible? Is that what it? Well, Audible is just no. a, is the same thing, but audiobooks. Yeah. That's, that's what so I'm it, saying. It's, it's like the same yeah. thing. Right, like yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah, these are it, the actual books you read on Kindle. They're not, uh, but these are ebooks, the, yeah, not e audiobooks, but e and then Audible is the audiobook yeah. version. Yeah, essentially that's yeah about the same thing. <laughs> I, I also have Audible. Uh, so Leah, it, it's it's, it's sort of like Audible. It's sort of like Audible. Yeah. Okay. Then <laughs> only you have to read it yourself. Except, except I with books. That. I know. <laughs> right, right. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out electronic books, books. Not not real books, but electronic books. I. <laughs> oh man! You read to yourself. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know what Audible. <laughs> yeah. I know. I just yeah, wanted to make sure it's like similar, the same concept. That's what I meant. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so <laughs> yeah. Ian, it's pretty cool, and you can tell when you go to Amazon, you can tell before you go to buy something. Oh, this one's on Kindle Unlimited, so I'm going to read oh, it there yeah. first and see That's true. what I think, and then you know if you know, decide if you wanted to. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've started some Kindle unlimited books and they probably only got paid for, you know, the first 30 pages. Because they got, I was the, like, they got their quarter penny. <laughs> That's the thing is that they're in the self, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, the, the self publishing game is, you know, it, it makes it really easy for anybody to publish a book, um, right. which means that the, I'm sure the quality, the um, quality is greatly starts, across, yeah. across all those titles. Um, in, in mine, who knows where it's at in, <laughs> in that range, but you know, it, it's cool that you can so easily publish something, but there's a trade-off for that. So you have to wade, oh, yeah. wade through. I've, wade through I've read things. some stuff that's not, I was just like, did, did this, did anyone proofread this even a little? Like, I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm not right. like a grammar Nazi or a punctuation Nazi, but I mean, I, I know what it's supposed to look like. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, this is... <laughs> Nobody this is fan fiction why? from Reddit. How did this get published? Some of it, yeah, and that's nuts. You're not wrong. Some of the stuff is is like that, and it's just like, I just give it a once over. I mean, you know what I mean. Before you just throw it up there, I guess I don't know some of the stuff. But um, I will say that uh, oftentimes, what attracts me to a book on Kindle Unlimited is the cover. So, mm -hmm. like seeing the artwork that you've chosen, like that would be a book that I would be like, oh, I want to read that. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that because that, you know, you don't always know from the reviews or from, sure. you know, the description that this is going to be garbage, but I'm like, if they paid, uh, you know, if they obviously went out of their way to, to like get a really nice cover, you know what I mean? Then 
they're maybe they're very serious about what they're trying to publish. It could just you know be I mean? prettily wrapped garbage too, but maybe. that's true. Uh, uh, that's, that's, just that, that's a oh, fair yeah, point. That's that's a hundred percent what I'm saying. I feel like, okay, they, you know, they they made the effort to try to attract my attention. So they, they got it. Let's see what they, they have. But yeah, yeah, it's not, even that is not a, not an indicator of. <laughs> so what you're saying, Jeff, great. is if the cover, if the cover has Bruce Willis on it and says, Jeff, read me, you're going to go ahead and just like click, right? I would, I would, yeah. It would be made well, for him watch, at that point. <laughs> I would watch any movie that Bruce, I mean, if you sat and read the phone book, I'd probably watch that movie because at some Bruce point Willis. someone would try to, well, somebody would try to kill him at some point and he would, and then he would, uh, it's just his luck, and, right? And that's right. all I need, right? That's all you need. Yeah. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll, maybe he'll, especially this time of year. Well, right. So, he'll just, you know, all of a sudden go into song and sing something. <laughs> so you can leave comments or not, you can leave reviews, uh, on this Kindle unlimited. Oh yeah. So, yeah. It's just like re- reviewing anything else just on like, Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What well, out of five stars and type stuff up. That, that's another thing that's really hard to get is is reviews because there's so many people that are like, oh, I, I don't leave reviews for things, and and I don't know if that's the polite way of saying I didn't like your book or they legitimately, <laughs> they legitimately just don't aren't a review person. I, I, I get that because I don't I don't leave a review unless I really 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 like something. Um, so or or you really 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 hate something. Well, that's because that's what it's uh, like, yeah. especially on Amazon. The, yeah, there's the no middle ground. People are the ones right. that hate it, and so. so it's like trying to get people. To to leave you a review is sometimes difficult, but it is very much appreciated when they do. Even if it's not a positive review, it, any feedback is good. Okay. Yeah, mental gotcha. note, leave review for Ian's books. <laughs> right. He's made a lot of mental notes on these. So, have you carried through with any actually, of them? <laughs> I, I, will, I will fully admit I've, I've forgotten and I have not reviewed the promptly written podcast books yet. Volumes one. Well, I haven't gotten I volume two reviewed yet. reviewed one of them, I thought. I, I may have reviewed one and I still haven't uh, read all read all of volume two because I haven't gotten my copy from Matt yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm waiting on Matt to give me the manuscripts for volume three so we can actually publish it. I know. I'm excited because <laughs> I want, I, 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 this is like a book series. I just want to have a, I just want to get because right. all your stories on your podcasts are fantastic, especially I'm always impressed at what you guys can pull out of a simple prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really fantastic. You guys are, are wonderful. Well, I'm short story writers. It. Yeah. It's, I love listening to it. And just to clarify, and cause I, this is great. Cause that helps me segue into a question I wanted to ask you just to clarify for our listening audience. So promptly written is a podcast where Ian and Matt get a prompt from the fans, the people who listen to the podcast. Um, uh, some of my prompts have been on there. Actually the last two, I think, uh, were I think that's mine. right. Um, I've supplied has a couple, a few prompts in there. Yeah. Um, and so they, they take this random prompt, uh, it could be a, a, just a phrase, a cliche, some wording, and they each approach it in their particular, you know, writing style. And then they, uh, read it. On, and then discuss kind of the process, thought process. And that, it's a great show. It really is really, really good. And um, so my question for you is, uh, as a, a novel writer, is do you find that this this podcast, this exercise of once a month, just kind of having to like fly by the seat of your pants and come up with something with these, you know, you get like a 30 day, you're just like, bam, I got to get this idea based on this prompt, is that a, is that an exercise that helps you as a writer? Do you think? 
I think it definitely does. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun because one, you get to explore those like half formed ideas that never grew into anything that was going to be, they would, they would ever see the light of day. I've got a like whole notebook full of random half formed thoughts that, um, just never came to anything. And so in that sense, it's, it's fun, but I think it also forces you to be creative with, with the novel, especially being self, you know, independent, self-published kind of thing. There's, there's no deadline other than what I set for myself. And so, um, with the podcast, I, I'm due every month. I have to have the story done in, and because I'm writing other things at the same time, I'm a little selfish of, of my, my writing time. And so I, I don't want the podcast to consume all of it. So to have the deadline to, to produce something that is hopefully entertaining in that short amount of time is, I think is a good thing for, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely go out there and, and subscribe to that one today. Cause it's highly really- recommended. Great stuff. Yeah, thank you. Even that, and even not just the stories. But when we talk about watches and pens too, that's also entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> we have our own little version of banter, and like I wonder, like, do we? How many people do we lose versus gain? stories, but you can skip ahead. Yeah, that's right. about like, the half hour uh, mark is when we start veering into story territory. So the great, the great thing about podcast players is that you can listen to them in like two times speed right. or three times speed. You should hear you and Matt going through your banter in three times speed. <laughs> because that's what no i'm kidding um but uh i, I wonder what our show sounds like in three I, times speed. I it's elvin and the chipmunks talking about watches that way <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's a good show just check that out um i was getting ready to, i had another question and then i distracted myself when i started making a joke um uh, and that never, now i don't remember that the, the never question. happens <laughs> Well, just like yeah, technical di- difficulties. Well, here, happen, all right, I'll, right? I'll steal spot. Here my, you Well, my brain often has technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? It wouldn't be a world gone geek show if there weren't technical difficulties. Right. <laughs> right. Aaliyah, what are your thoughts on that, Aaliyah? What's up with that? I don't know why Utah always wants me to play that one after. <laughs> what do you like mean? They, what they, do you they, mean? They were never <laughs> intended to be like a, a duo that those two quotes, like they, they're completely unrelated to each other. But I love it's, that. I love that great, so much. Now, here somehow we go. This is a, to him, they total make non sequitur, but I found this just for you, Ian, because I got this for as a gift years ago. Nice. So this, I guess, is a limited edition uh, out of 10,000. It's a fossil watch. Yeah, out of 10,000, Aaliyah. How'd you know? Well, you so it's fossils uh, back in the day. Right? And so this is this is the only fossil I have left. But you can see here. Well, there you go. And boop. Wow, that's cool. It's hard. Yeah, it also it's shoot work. lasers out of it. So just, uh, you didn't just, you forget that we're on a, po- a podcast also. And so that's a James Bond. It's a, ja- watch yes, it's a James Bond. Shown. Yeah. Should, yeah. T- we'll take a picture and put it in the show notes or something. I don't know. But does it, yeah. But does it shoot a laser? Like, can you get out of like, uh, no, sadly it, it handcuffs it, with it or anything. There, there's no, there's no, you know, little wire you can choke people with or a laser that shoots out mm-hmm. of it or it's not, yeah, it's, it's not magnetic. Um, <laughs> It came with a belt, but it also, the belt didn't have any C4 in it either. It, it was very disappointing. Yeah. I mean, come on. If you're going to put, if you're going to put this, this logo on something, you got, it's got to be gadget something, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't, that didn't pass through Q's. Uh, right. Uh, Maybe just a prototype. Control. Oh, it right. could be. It's just a prototype. 
So, so, um, so let's talk about that then real quick, James Bond, since you brought it up, Utah, that's great. Um, I, you read, you said that you read the books, uh, when you were, so had you, is that, was that your introduction to James Bond or had you seen some movies first? Like, how did you get into no. those? Cause I've read a couple of the books too, but it was well after I'd seen them. Yeah. I seen the movies first and, uh, I, it was one of those things where like my mother hated James Bond you know, kind of a thing. Cause he's like a womanizer and whatnot, but somehow, he's such a misogynist. Right. I, somehow I was able to watch the movies as a kid. Um, despite that they were probably on TBS or something, but, um, right. But I, I was familiar with the movies first and then went back and read the books. Um, cause I just wanted to understand the source material, I guess. So. Yeah. And the books, I mean, you talk about, you know, James Bond being, you know, a womanizer and a misogynist. The books are some of the books are even more problematic than the yeah, than the I, movies. I guess, a product of I their mean, time, I guess. Time. But, I guess I. Yeah. He's definitely a womanizer. I don't. I, I don't know if I'd say he's a misogynist because I don't think he hates women, but um, mm. he definitely. I think the books. He's more. He's a little bit more nuanced than he is in the movies. The movies. He's a little bit more. I, I'm not sure the right term. He's. He, sexed up a little bit more maybe in the in in, in the movies in the sense mm. that uh that's true he, yeah that makes sense he's, yeah. he's a little he's a little bit more he's a little bit more human in the books maybe but like yeah they are definitely a product of their time um they're written in the uh, 50s i think 50s World War yeah. II kind of a thing um but i always enjoyed um not that ian fleming's a, a brilliant writer or anything but i he, he always was very descriptive um with his uh, way he sets a scene and sort of describes things and almost like a product placement kind of a thing. But, um, I, I think what I always latched onto was his descriptiveness, uh, as far as laying things out. And that, that was always interesting to me from a, from a, from a writing perspective. And have you seen, there was a TV show that was kind of based on his exploits as a, cause well, he was like a, he was actually a spy, wasn't he? He was like actually involved. He was involved in, in intelligence, the, I believe, um, a little yeah. bit in the war. And in people speculate on, I think, how much of that influenced his stories. And they even try to speculate who of his acquaintances they, they based, right. based the character Bond on and that kind of thing. Um, but I think he's sort of a, an amalgam of like some people he knew in the war and some of the, the British sort of, folk, not folk heroes, but like some of the early 1900s sort of British uh, heroes that I, I'm not familiar with their names, but there was a lot of these characters sure. I think that were sort of influential to him in that, in that sense. And it was sort of a hodgepodge of, of that idea. I think, you know, Britain was in decline as far as a world power at the end of the war. And I, I think some people speculate that it was sort of his sort of take on, you know, like, Hey, what if, you know, what if Britain was still relevant kind of a thing um, on the world stage like they were and that's sort of his personification of it. Maybe um, I've not read enough about it to be a, I guess, to be knowledgeable sure. about it, but that, that that's what I've read anyway. Yeah. I was just, I was surprised at some of the, I mean, again, I not surprised because again, they were, they were written at a time where people said, things that you would never see today. Oh, sure. yeah. Um, yeah. and just some of the, some of even some of the kind of racial comments and things like that. I forget the one that I read, 
Um, if you read Live and Let Die, you'd probably find some stuff in there that you won't like. Is that um, the, yeah, mm, that was the one. Yeah, and then that's probably, so is that the yeah. one that the movie had Yafat well. Kato in it? Uh, Yafat Kato was in Live and Let Die. He was in Live, Live and Let Die. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's passed, the book. Actually. He, he passed last year. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Yeah. He was a brilliant, brilliant actor. But yeah, I, I, that's the one. Because I remember as I'm reading it, like I'm... I'd seen that movie and the, he was in my head as the, as the character. Yeah. That one is problematic um, in some of the the writing, but again, I was just like, okay. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's like, we, how many times can we, you know, say it, you know, well, it was a different time. Well, what's um, going to be really yeah. interesting is a hundred years from now, what people are going to complain right. about us. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, right. It'll sure. be interesting. That's going to be yeah. the fun question. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. They're going to say that so, Daniel Craig is just totally wrong for Bond. <laughs> oh, wait, we don't have to wait a hundred um, years for that. We are, that already so happened. Let me ask, say that already, you know, but you're right. <laughs> let me ask you this then. So do you have a favorite Bond in the movies? I think I'm a Connery Bond guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, Sean Connery. I, yeah. My yeah, theory he is, is he, but my theory is your Bond is the one that you saw first. Yeah, right. It's kind of like your doctor in the so doctor. That's interesting because my, my earliest Bond memories are with Roger Moore. Um, oh, really? I, I think I'm a kind Same. Of guy, yeah. Interesting. Same. I hear, I've heard people say what you're saying, Utah, but at the same time, yeah, my first, the very first Roger, first Bond film I saw in the theater was Roger Moore. And, but yet I remember watching some Sean Connery ones on TV. And I knew that my mom liked Sean Connery. She likes all of them. She thinks they're all, you know, and I'm like, mom, I don't. You know, Even age, Jordan, I'm like, oh, gross. I don't know. I don't know what care. What you, I don't want to know. Is this a these, kissing movie? Which of these? Yeah, I don't want to. That's exactly right. Uh, and it turns out, white, yes, Mom, they're very stop, much. You know? <laughs> there you go. That was my thing. Like, if you're watching a black and white movie, I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah, but uh, um, yeah, Sean Connery was was my favorite. But I think a lot of that's just because I just love him and everything else too. Yeah, I'm, I'm a even when, even when he plays. Scottish accent, Spaniards, and uh, Russian. Hey, 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 come on no. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> yeah, oh movie. Gosh. Well, we won't go there. That's a whole other um, podcast worth of discussion, I think, is what that is. It sure is. Yeah, I, wonder if, yeah. if that, I wonder if that movie should appear in our We're Going Back podcast. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know how it would make it fit I, the story. That I, I, I will say right Sean Connery wears a diaper pretty well. I, it's very yeah, so Aaliyah's... Yeah, man, Aaliyah, whatever we may that have lost you. Yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. Um, I I've only seen one James Bond movie, and that's Goldfinger. And um, that's not a bad one. I don't one know to, anything to about. It's uh, a very iconic to, one, but I think it's a tad overrated. Myself. Yeah, I, I th- want you to to Google Zardoz right now. You should I'll watch Zardoz. Z- no, Zardoz. Z a r d o z. And do an image search. Zardoz. Yeah. Zardoz. Zardoz. Yeah, and. And give it a little bit of time because it starts off Wait, really slow. Z A R D D D isn't dog O Z. Not very D-A-R-D-O-Z. movies. D-O-Z. Not very many movies can start with like a floating face, basically giving you exposition for however long it took. <laughs> what? But Zardoz does it. Zardoz, I'm going to admit. <laughs> Oh, you're missing out. What is this? Do you see Sean Connery's outfit? (laughs) It's what is happening? Yeah, it is so bad. It's good almost, but then you're like, "What did I just watch?" And I'm like, "I feel like I need to watch it again." I just, I don't. It's bizarre. 
I don't know right. if he's like, wearing yeah, a diaper or if right. he's wearing. Uh, what is I, this? Whoever wrote the dialogue a, for this film, I'm it's like, a diaper with like suspenders. The story, it's like a bullet the story strap. itself I don't is a little. Yeah. And why is he in the snow? <laughs> in this <laughs> outfit, very, very odd film. I think those are the lengths that he was trying to go to separate himself from Bond for being typecast in that role. Oh yeah. wow, yeah, which is that kind been of interesting. Quite yeah. of a quite a knee-jerk reaction to go <laughs> to Zartos. <laughs> yeah. It's way different. So, uh, so yeah, I think Connery, although I really do like Daniel Craig, I'm sorry to see him go. I, I, honestly, uh, I like him all, but Brosnan, I'm just not a Brosnan guy. Really? Yeah. See, now I liked him in Remington steel back in the day. Um, and so when he became bond, I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, but I think it was just, it was just, that time period it's like well, yeah it just made sense that he was bond sure and I, well i definitely so, don't think he was helped with with the the writing of the movies that he was in i would agree um, yeah. I, i'm i'm a big timothy dalton really. fan i thought oh, his yeah. movies were were are, are highly underrated um, yes i agree nobody's mentioned george lazenby yet uh there's I a reason love, for that. No, i love on her majesty's secret service it's that's it's, what, it's, so, it's a peculiar film but i love it it's one I of the best Bond stories in, in the series, ages. in my opinion. That's what I. That's what everybody says. It's like he's the not anybody's favorite Bond, but it's a great. He made one Bond movie that's like one of right. the best Bond films, which yeah, is kind of interesting. Yeah. So who do you who do you think is going to be Bond next? I don't know. People uh, are saying um, Harry Styles. They really want Henry <laughs> or, uh, Henry Cavill. They want him really bad, which I don't mind Henry Cavill, but I don't want him as Bond. I, I don't think he'd be right he's for too, it. He's, he's too big. He's, he's too big of a name like and too muscular. Too big of a name. Like right. Yeah. So I, I feel I, like I really, they need to find somebody more obscure. Right. Yeah. Somebody who's less known. I, I would say that if I could pick anybody, maybe 10 years younger would be Michael Fassbender. Mm, I think he would have be been good. great, but I think he's too old now. Yeah, I always thought Clive Owen would be a good one, but he's also too old now. Yeah, he's another one of those ones that like people are like, oh, if I could have him like you know a couple decades back or something, ten years ago maybe yeah. he'd be good. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, Anything. I mean, everybody's the you know the talk is Idris Elba and all this kind of stuff. People and to be like honest, him too. He's I think I would watch him prime. in anything. So yeah. <laughs> oh think, no. Well, I mean, I think for, for well, Bond, I think Idris Elba. Think he might so be Idris Elba, M. people is, think he might be a good M. Oh, oh yeah, that would be true. I hadn't thought but of he, that. He's almost he's 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 my British uh, Bruce Willis. Well, the thing is, you need somebody who can do. I'll watch him like in anything. Another four and or five films. He can do no wrong, right? Right. So you so were talking at least ten years. Oh, agreed. Yeah, that's yeah, that's for sure. So you're looking for somebody that's a little true. bit younger because Daniel Craig wasn't Daniel Craig the oldest when he was cast. Or was that? He might have been one of the youngest when he was cast. Actually, I think he was oh, around wait. thirty-eight, maybe. Yeah, no, no, I take back. Lazenby was like twenty nine, maybe. Yeah, I know Lazenby. Yeah, I know Lazenby was pretty young. Um, I think Craig was like thirty eight, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, we just we just don't want we just don't That's want to see right. like a seventy year old trying to do these things like Roger right. Moore did. Yeah, Roger Moore hung <laughs> on for one or two films too too long. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think you're you're <laughs> saying that to a guy who is so ready <laughs> to go see another Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't care how old he is. Uh, I, I call me skeptical. I I love Indiana Jones, but like I don't know. Like do, it's like, do we need another Rambo kind of a thing? I, I don't know. No. Do we? Do we? Do we need we, another Rocky? Well, yes. Right. We this always legitimate question. There is another Rocky coming. Uh, but there is? Be, 
<laughs> well, no, I think they're, they're doing more Creed. Is what oh, I'm okay, saying. got it, got it. Rocky right. is See, in Creed. Creed is okay, but another Rocky? Yeah, I love that. I love this continuation, this revival. This is my... This is my the way I love to see movies live on. I don't kind like passing the, the let's baton. go back and remake Rocky with some, you know, up and coming, you know, sure. uh, tough guy. No, what? no, Rocky's already that's that's great. We loved it. Some were great, some were cheese, but they were all, you know, what they were. And then you come along and you do Creed, and it's like, okay, we're passing the torch. That makes and more now sense. Now we can have Creed, and eventually Creed can pass that torch on to someone else. You know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, uh, who's who plays Creed? Michael B. Jordan, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, uh, they can pass it on older. to a Drago, right? Oh my gosh! Well, he's he's going to be in this next. One. I know, one. I know. I heard he was. Gonna I haven't be. seen, <laughs> I haven't seen. Uh, the second one, but that wasn't the Drago one. No, that wasn't the Drago one. No. Okay. Yeah. I got to get Not that I heard. But anyway, so yeah, I love that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping that that continues. That trend continues. So last, last thing I'm going to ask. So in the driver series, since that's one of your oldest series, you've been living with that the longest. It's got one book left. Is that right? That's the plan um, anyway. Yeah. If, if, if they <laughs> made it into a movie, who plays the driver? Like right now, like who? Um, so we can so we can get an idea who you oh picture man. in your head, like what he looks like. So the one person that was close in my head, I and unfortunately I don't know the actor's name. He's one of these guys that's probably been in a lot of stuff, and I just never knew his name. <laughs> I know that's a that's a terrible <laughs> answer. Um, but I, I sort of had a guy. What, in what movies has he been in? Uh, is, 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 it is it the it's the mayhem guy from the insurance commercials, right? So you know what he was, um, and and I'm not. <laughs> I love, he's a great actor. I'm not claiming to have watched this film or any of them. I'm going to put that on record. I saw like 10 minutes of it on TV, but I think he okay. played the dad in one of the Twilight movies. Oh, Google. Okay. Oh, okay. Bella's dad. Bella? Yeah, so Bella's dad? Looking, that guy, like, that up, Utah? whatever I saw him in first, I was like, ah, oh, maybe he could be a good driver. I don't know. Uh, William Albert Burke. He just has sort of a tortured look about him. I thought maybe that would, that would fit the character. But. Okay. Interesting. All right. Or he, he so, could have yeah, a tortured like, look about him, rather. Sure, sure. All right. Well, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find more information uh, about your books, your your, uh, and all the stuff that you're working on? Where can they get more info? Uh, if you just go to ianlewisfiction.com, that's my website. It has a link to all the books. Um, and from there, there's links to um, Goodreads and Facebook and Instagram which I use in varying degree, varying degrees. Um, but yeah, Ian Lewis fiction.com is probably the best place. Awesome. And so, and, and some of the, which, which is the driver series on Kindle unlimited? It is. Yes. Is that so you can, we can get a taste of it there if you uh, want to get a taste, but then if you like it, Obviously, don't keep reading it on Kindle Unlimited because he only gets like oh, a few cents. I don't really care. I just care that you're reading and preferably right. reading know. a review. <laughs> there you go. The review. Let's do that. At Let's least review sure the review 30 it. pages you read. That would be great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's been great, man. I can't wait to have you and Matt back on uh, when we uh, talk about um, kind of doing a little collaboration. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see what what the three of us write. And, and I'm that. excited. And then, uh, we're, oh. we're also going to uh, um, we're also reading a book together, and we're going to like talk about the book. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, I forget what show we're doing, which on, but you know, yeah, we're, we're planning a collaboration with those guys. Um, 
and uh, it's, it's going to be fun. So keep an eye out and listen for that, an ear out. Um, before we go, though, it is time for... It's time for the 92nd Geek Rant. Yes. Right. I got to stop saying it's time for right before I press the sound <laughs> that says it's time for. That's like saying ATM machine or pin number. Exactly. So... Um, <laughs> It is, so 90 second geek rant is the time when we give you the, the listening audience a chance to speak out and uh, let us know what's on your mind. We, get a ch- we give you a part of the show uh, to hear what you're talking about. Um, good friend of the show is our, uh, our geek of the week, I guess we'll call him. Uh, <laughs> I got to get, I got to get deep voice guy to say that now it's time for geek, geek of the week with of the 90 the second week. geek rant. <laughs> There we go. Um, but no, uh, this is uh, Tommy D from our good friends over at Circle of Nerds. Oh, great. Uh, called in to our speak pipe. Uh, you better and, not be talking uh, about this Buford. This is what he said. Tommy D from Circle of Nerds here with my thoughts on the live action Cowboy Bebop series. Mm. The series does a nice job creating a fresh retelling of the story while offering enough nostalgic fan service for those of us who have loved the anime since 1998. The world of Cowboy Bebop has always had a very cool Firefly meets Fifth Element vibe, and the live action nails that. However, the live action series does feel a little dry on story and character development. The relationship between Spike and Jet feels forced, despite the writers sprinkling in a few personal tidbits to flesh them out. The visuals and soundtrack are absolutely amazing. The acting is solid, except for Vicious. And I actually like the live action Faye more than her anime counterpart. She's definitely a high point of the series. It's also nice to see that they haven't overly sexualized her like they did in the anime. So for now, at only seven episodes in, I'm just not emotionally invested enough to binge it. But from what I've seen so far, the series does a fine job recreating the beloved anime, and in no way does it ruin the franchise. It's a fun ride for new cowboys and seasoned veterans of the series. Just don't expect a lot of emotional pull. At least not yet. I guess we'll see what happens. See you, Space Cowboy. All right. Nice. Tommy D. Yeah. Tommy D there. I, with his, I haven't uh, watched it yet. I've been and I can't. On Cal- you haven't watched any of them? No. And the, no, the she knows the anime, right? I do know, know the yeah. anime, but okay. I just have been waiting to watch the series because I'm so afraid that it's going to be horrible, hey, in my own uh, opinion. That's exactly, that's, that's exactly that's what, he just what said. Tommy kept saying before. I know. Because uh, I asked him several times uh, in the as it was coming up and he was really nervous. But and then so I'm really encouraged to hear him say that because I know how, how much he loves the show. Um, I've only we've watched two episodes. Uh, it turns out my wife um, it actually kind of likes it. So now I have to wait for her. And I watch it. So, <laughs> otherwise it would be, I would already have binged every episode by now it would have been gone, but so we're doing them in order. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, I agree with, with him so far. Yeah. I'm really enjoying what they're doing with it. It's, it's, it's a nice homage to series. It's not so exactly like it, that it's a mimic. It's not so different that it's like, Oh God, what is this? Like some others have been, um, it's this weird kind of in between thing. It's not a hundred percent perfect, but it's also, uh, definitely still worth seeing. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So I, I, I would agree with everything. That's only two episodes for me. I've, I think I'm five or six episodes in and, uh, I agree with everything that Tommy said. It's, uh, it's not exact. It's a wonderful homage, a nice tribute to the anime. Uh, it's certainly flawed. There are some issues in, in the, the writing and the character development. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me is I don't feel as emotionally invested or attached to it. And Tommy mentioned that too. Uh, and it's certainly very possible that 
um, you know, a lot of it is nostalgia, you know, going back to when I first discovered anime and, and first discovered Cowboy Bebop. Um, admitted, you know, Cowboy Bebop just reinforced my love for, for really good jazz music. Um, and um, that's some, that sound, man, that, the soundtrack is worth fact, every one, one of the greatest things that they did soundtrack. for the live action show was to bring back um, Yoko Kano to, to do the soundtrack for the live action show. Because I mean, half of the show really, half of my love for the show is the music. It, and yes, so, well, one hundred percent. It's one of those shows. I always like one of the thing I like to throw out on the internet occasionally and Twitter and things is to quiz people about what their what's the one show you can't click skip intro on. Oh, Cowboy like Bebop. You just have to watch the intro. Absolutely sure. And. Cowboy Bebop's one of them. The Muppet Show is another I, one yep. that I would say. I feel that same I way have about to watch the opening for that. I feel the same way about Shampoo, though. I I love the intro yeah. for Shampoo. And I and you guys called me out. I haven't seen that yet, so yep. I'm definitely gonna have to start watching that. And, and my wife probably doesn't care about that one, so I can start binging that right away. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll do that. Um, all right, um, Ian. Thank you again for being on the Thank show. You. We appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, make sure you check out his books at uh, ianlewisfiction.com. Uh, he's also on Instagram and Twitter, I think, right? We not, can follow not Twitter. You I'm on Instagram. Not Twitter. Yeah. Instagram. That's where I keep, I've yeah. seen you on Instagram. That's what it is. Um, but while you're there on Instagram following Ian, make sure you follow us too. Uh, we're trying to get uh, lots of followers and uh, we'd love for you to be one of them. That's where we put out a lot of information about our guests. Next week, DC, the Brain Supreme from Tag Team, going to be right here on the show. Whoops, was, there uh, it is. able to make it to a previous episode, and uh, we he was able to rebook, and uh, we're hoping to see him here next Sunday. So make sure to join us, and we'll see you. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Go see Shang-Chi. The podcast is real is a World Gone Geek production.